Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Jess. And we're inviting you to a lady date, a place to connect, speak openly, and learn from each other's experiences. Today's episode is about emotions in the workplace. We had a conversation about toxic positivity a few episodes back and wanted to discuss this topic a bit more. But instead of just the two of us, we have a very special guest. All right. Well, welcome, Sarah, and our very special guest, Katie. It's so great to see you both. Nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me tonight. Yeah, and we'll definitely do more of an intro with you in a little bit, Katie. But as is tradition, we'll start off with an icebreaker. Um, And I'd love to hear from you first, Katie. If you could have another name, what would it be and why? (laughs) Okay, this is a good one, because a story is coming to mind from years and years ago, back during the days when we could be out in bars mingling around IRL, much even further back than that. I, um, if anybody can relate, I used to need a sort of alter ego, or even maybe a secret code name to give to people that maybe approached me in a situation and I didn't want to give them my real name. And so I would give them this fake name. My friends maybe would even know that I'm using the name. They might have to intercede and save me from a sketchy situation. And so that that. name (laughs) was Tallulah. So Tallulah (laughs) was a very confident, but maybe a little bit of a flake who could... (laughs) skirt out of situations when she needed to and um, was never held accountable for doing so. And the funny thing is, is my college roommate at the time um, ended up getting a cat or a kitten at the time when we all lived together. And she ended up naming the kitten Tallulah. Okay. <laughs> so Tallulah it's lives perfect. on. <laughs> I love it. it's not my name, it's somebody's name. <laughs> I love, I love that, that it had that. an ego. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like Cholula was built out. It's not yes. just a name. It's like yes. full on persona. Right. Yes. Oh yes. Maybe if, if you you're ever... under the influence a little bit, you need a role to step into. And it needs yeah. to be a consistent one. <laughs> yeah. If you ever have a memoir, it should be like codenamed Tallulah. Tallula. It's has yes. a nice ring to it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh man. Sarah, what about you? Okay, so being a Sarah, which I'm sure as a Katie and a Jessica, we are all on the same page. We have very, very common names. Thanks, parents. Um, So I've never really like loved my name. And I've always just kind of like, I've never really thought about changing it, though. I've never had like a an alter ego or another name that I've loved enough to say that I would change it. But I did have a fake idea in college that was actually an Oregon ID. So it was like a real ID. Um, A friend like got a hold of it. It's like a long line of of, of usage. Basically, it was passed down. Um, And since I went to school in Michigan, it was uh, useful enough that like no one would really question it as to like its authenticity. Um, But the, the person who the person is a real person that probably still lives in Oregon. And her name is um, Casey O'Reilly. I don't know if we're going to like bleep this out or something. It feels weird. Um, But she is like six years older than me. So I was going out to the bars underage, arrest me. And 
going with my 21 year old friends, but trying to pass off as like a 25 or 26 year old. I bought like fake glasses so that I could pass it off. It legit was um, a whole thing. So I guess that's probably the closest I've gotten to an alter ego or uh, changing my name, I guess. Did Casey have a personality? Like did, was she just coming back? Was she getting her MBA and that's why she was coming back? Casey, Casey never got that complicated because I did when I first got it, I was like, I need to know like what her Zodiac sign is just in case they asked me at the bar. So the only, the only question I kind of got stumped on or that I was like prompted at the door of a bar was what the capital of Oregon was. And since I was drunk, I just immediately said Portland. And the guy was like, wait, what? And I was like, oh, uh, it's Salem. Uh, you know, I thought you asked like what city I was from. And he was like, oh, okay. And just let me in. <laughs> Good cover. I know. I, like bad slip and then a relatively okay cover. You should have seen the look on my friend's face. He was like. Busted. <laughs> <laughs> you dumb drunk lady. Um so no, that's uh, that's really the closest I've ever gotten to having an alter ego. My fake ID actually had the name Sarah on it. And what? I think I actually knew a Sarah and she was a little bit older than me, but it was perfect because she went to the same college as me. We had some classes together and she just handed me, it was expired, um, but she was like, here you go. And I wasn't that far off. I think it was 20. And uh I got pretty comfortable and I ended up going, you know how you get, you, you find your, your liquor store or whatever, the, you know, the bar that keeps taking it. So it's just easier mm-hmm. and easier. And then um, finally they got a new staff. There was a huge turnover and I got totally busted one time going in. He just looked at <laughs> no. it, looked at me and was like, don't ever bring this in here ever again. <laughs> he let you keep it? He did. Yeah. He let me keep what? It. That's pretty good. Wow. I never had a fake ID. You goody tissues. I know. I know. I was probably, <laughs> I, I was too chicken for sure to ever have one. I also like didn't even, I wouldn't have even known how to get one. Oh man. We like would drive to Toronto to get them like produced with your face on them. Sorry, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I just feel like such a like L7 weenie, like a total square. Um, well, Oh, well, I guess I, I eventually got to being 21. So it all worked out. You made <laughs> it to fine. Bars. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Not to like right. say anything about the, the house parties that I went to. <laughs> right, right, right. Different, different yeah. avenues for booze. Yeah. But all right. Well, my answer to this um, is not nearly as cool as either of yours. I have to say that like... As a kid, yes, growing up with a name that there was always someone else. So I always had to have my last initial um, used whenever I was like in class or something because Jessica is just like it was one of the top names for the year I was born. So always kind of dreamed as a kid about having a different name. And mine comes from my sister had this Barbie that I loved and Sarah knows this story because we've actually had this icebreaker at a work event before, but I was um, super into this redheaded freckled Barbie named Midge. 
And I thought she was the coolest thing. And it's probably because my one sister was like super into this Barbie too. So it's like, because she thought it was cool. I thought it was cool. And so I really wanted my name to be Midge as a kid. (laughs) And I just was like fascinated by her. And of course we had like all these super cool Barbie clothes. And so Midge always got to have like these beautiful dresses. And I thought that I could have red hair and freckles and be Midge in another life. But she had no, I had no uh, persona that I ever adopted. I just played it out through Barbies, I guess. One of these days, we're going to get you a red wig. You're going to get a persona (laughs) for Midge. (laughs) I just want you to look someone in the eye. I just want you to look someone in the eye and be like, my name is Midge. (laughs) Hi, nice to meet you. I'm Midge. Did you time travel here? (laughs) Well, how cool too that you weren't like, I, that you weren't like, well, I want to be Barbie. I want to be just like Barbie. You found like the more like realistic and approachable doll that you wanted to be like, you know? Exactly. (laughs) I'm also playing tug of war with Walfa right now because she has decided that she wants to play with her squeaky toy. Right. Oh my gosh. Of course. Anyway, I think this is a great opportunity um, to talk about our special guest. Yeah. So today's guest is Katie Zink. Cue the applause. She is the founder of Social Construct Consulting. Uh, As the founder and principal consultant for Social Construct Consulting, Katie helps visionary leaders create a positive, dynamic culture that hears, recognizes, and supports all voices. Over the last 11 years, Katie has advocated for causes in the community affecting at-risk youth career readiness efforts, after-school programming, and accessibility services. Her mission is to help organizations facilitate the cultural change needed for collective success. People hire Katie to guide an organizational DEI strategy, and she loves contributing to professional learning summits, industry conferences, blogs, youth career days, and mentorship opportunities. Thank you for joining us today, Katie. We are honored to have you. Thank you, Sarah, for that introduction. And thanks, Jess. And it's so good to be here with y'all. I'm excited this worked out and I've missed seeing you around. So I think this is going to be a good conversation. Yeah, it's good to see you even virtually. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess that's a good point. So we used to work, all three of us used to work together. So that's how we know Katie and we've kept in touch since. Um, And Katie, we would love to hear from you just a little bit more about who you are and um, why you wanted to come on the podcast with us. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I have to say that I'm a huge fan. I, um, on, I believe it was on Instagram noticed that y'all were launching this podcast back a while now um, and have been listening in and just, I have to say, it's been nice to have some familiar voices out there talking about things that are super relevant. And as I've been, in my um, entrepreneurial journey, it can be lonely out here and working from home and not too many opportunities to be kind of like mingling with coworkers or out hanging out outside of work, things like that, that used to be such a big part of life. Uh, This podcast has really helped me still feel relevant and know what's going on inside of companies, which has been helpful for my work because yes, of course, seeing through the eyes of my clients and seeing what they're going through and their struggles, that's really um, the most kind of informative way that I can kind of stay plugged in. But stuff like this uh, is just really, really nice to feel like 
you're still part of the conversation and keeping up with what people are going through. Um, cause that, that always helps me. And then of course the marketing angle is always useful as a business owner. And, um, depending on kind of how my future goes, um, I think marketing is always a valuable skill. So the last year since we worked together, I mean, I've been through quite a lot. I launched my business last April of 2020, right before, right at the start of a pandemic. So that was fun. <laughs> only up from there. <laughs> it's only I mean, up from here, right? Truly incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and given the year we had, I think it was also kind of the perfect time to have a discipline like this and be thinking about these topics and companies and organizations were definitely ready to start listening and making some changes. And so I felt grateful that I could contribute to the movement in some way. And so I spent the better part of last year putting together my sort of signature offering, which is a three-month engagement. I get in there and I help organizations create their first DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy. And so I, I support them as a strategist, but I also really love facilitating different learning and development opportunities. So as a trained facilitator, I can lead reflective discussions or workshops um, on a, a wide array of topics. So oftentimes that'll be kind of a, a certain project a client will bring me in on, um, or it'll be a more kind of advisory level where I advise sort of um, an early stage launch in something they're about to do. Um, or ideally, I'm there with them along the way throughout a three-month engagement and then potentially after the fact. So I've got clients that work with me on all, all kinds of different things. And so it's always interesting, but um, I have just been feeling hopeful for where things are going from here. now that companies are thinking about bringing folks back or allowing things to kind of stay flexible as they have been or how that will look culture wise too, because to me, employee experience and culture, I mean, this is such a pivotal time and such a point of no return even after the year we've had and what we won't go back to, what we'll transition into. And I'm just hopeful that it is an improvement and we don't just keep going back to the same things we were, we were doing that weren't working for people. Absolutely. Could not agree more with you on, on that and how important it is that we do take a hard look at what we've been doing and kind of use this as an opportunity to improve and reset and realign and figure out where we want to go moving forward. So we're so glad to have you here, Katie. It is honestly such an honor to have you on here. And it's so fun to see our lives kind of come back to this. You know, it's also just so nice to hear that this has been helpful. This podcast and this space has been helpful for you um, so that you can feel a little more connected because that's 100% what we're trying to do. We want to make sure that people are feeling heard and people are feeling um, like they're part of the conversation. So that means a lot. Definitely. Yes. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And I'm really excited for all of our conversations that I know we're going to have in the future as well. Uh, so for today, so we're talking about emotions in the workplace. I think we have a ton that we probably could unpack here, may unpack here. Um, and I know this kind of spawned from the conversation that Jess and I had around toxic positivity a few episodes ago. Um, and Katie, you you mentioned to us that you like listened to that um, and that that kind of uh, bridged a bridge to a new conversation as well about 
emotions in the workplace. Um, and you mentioned something to us about vulnerability as well. Could you tell me a little bit more about that bridge, that connection? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. The toxic positivity conversation was so important because at this point, sometimes it feels like toxic positivity even gets delegated to us. Like it's a part of our jobs these days. We're just kind of told to be positive, work hard, play hard. Don't worry. It'll be okay. I feel like so often I was kind of in different, you know, professional settings throughout my career where managers were just like, you have to toughen up. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. And, you know, I have a lot of experience with being emotional at work and not really knowing what to do about it and being told so many different kinds of philosophies about where emotions belong, who's allowed to be emotional, who gets labeled as overly emotional. And so you can't really understand your emotions, your own emotions, the emotions of others without kind of being well-versed in vulnerability. And so I know the three of us are all um, diehard Brene Brown fans. Brene, uh, (laughs) let's have a moment for Brene Brown really quick. (laughs) Truly. (laughs) Yeah, you know, she talks a lot about vulnerability and what it means, what it isn't, and why it matters at work. One of my favorite clients and I are hosting a series of, of workshops where we talk about this and it's a kind of executive coaching, like immersive workshop series. And a lot of our participants are like being really honest about the fact that vulnerability is kind of a, it equates to weakness. It's just, it's something that you just really don't do. You really shouldn't do. Nobody likes feeling it. And at work, nobody likes feeling vulnerable. It kind of feels like you're you're exposed for something like, oh, maybe you're not confident enough to do something. Maybe you're not um, skilled up enough to contribute to a certain project or get promoted or get a, a raise, um, whatever kind of you add, uh, define as valuable in your position. Vul- being vulnerable could compromise that. And so we're kind of taught to like, toughen up, have a tough skin, don't let things get to us, definitely don't show too much emotion. Kind of an interesting thing about this one client too, is they have a really large Latina population. And one of the things we're working on is creating career paths so that they there's a clear line to leadership and gaining responsibility, growing. And so a lot of these women are in our workshop right now, which is awesome. And in that translation from Spanish to English, there isn't really a word for vulnerability. The word for vulnerability is weakness. So you can imagine kind of that huge cultural Mm. kind of demand as well. So there's a lot of angles here with vulnerability, but what's been interesting is learning about what it can actually do for us because the opposite or what we need to be aware of when we're feeling that vulnerability is sometimes that shame will step in. You know, Brene talks a lot about that shame mm-hmm. too. Right. And so how, how do we battle that at work? Because that happens all the time. People feel shame all the time at work. And sometimes it's even like more understandable than feeling vulnerable or feeling emotional. And so people really kind of like maybe Maybe that's where that bro culture thing happened. Like people are trying to cover up feelings of shame or feelings of like inadequacy. And so they like layer on any way to feel like normal and connected. And like, there's nothing kind of wrong going on here, if that makes sense. So totally spanning from thinking about 
toxic positivity and like telling people to stay positive, even if they're really going through something hard and struggling, why you don't have to be afraid of that vulnerability. And so I figured today we'll be getting a little into like, what is it like when we're emotional at work? What do we do in situations when people are emotional on our team? And what can leaders do? What can managers do? What can team members do? Yeah, absolutely. I'm so excited to talk about this with you because truly, I feel like you kind of hit it there. Like there's such a tight connection with shame and vulnerability and that we are often taught to just sort of like blanket over what we're feeling. It's fine. I'm fine. I'm good. And not really be anything else because it might make other people uncomfortable if you're showing up any differently than just being like good. Um, And also that being vulnerable at work, it makes you feel like maybe people won't take you as seriously or won't have as much confidence in you. And I'm curious if like that idea of being vulnerable at work, like if we were to see somebody else being vulnerable at work, like would we really think all the things that they think but I guess I'm getting like tongue twisted, but it's like when you're thinking about showing your emotions at work, you run through a whole scenario in your head, right? Like people are going to perceive me this way. They're going to think X, Y, and Z about me. But I'm wondering like if somebody sees you being vulnerable at work, do they actually think all of those things or have you just created that scenario fully in your head? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, maybe it- both. <laughs> To me, like if someone's being vulnerable at work, it's like the opposite reaction that I have when someone's like pushing toxic positivity on me. It's like, oh, okay, you're a human being. I can relate to this. I feel like a lot of the times you get into like management positions, managers looking at their direct reports or, you know, whatever, someone higher up on the on the scale um, looking down at someone younger and I feel like this probably happens a lot, especially with women, um, where they see someone being emotional or vulnerable and they, for some reason, say, oh, that's unprofessional or, oh, you're losing your, <laughs> you're losing it. Mm-hmm. You tighten up and act like a professional and they see that as like problem solving. So I think, yeah, Katie, what you're mentioning about like connecting the toxic positivity, it's like the, that's the mask that covers our vulnerability almost. <clears throat> so to me, no, yeah. if someone's vulnerable. I think it's great. I think it's awesome. I mean, yeah, it's authentic. Get into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah. And I loved your point too, about what calling, what things, what we call professional too. It's yeah. almost like a, another deflection. It's another way of being of that toxic positivity shining through like what you're doing right now. That's not professional. Cause I don't want to see that it's making me uncomfortable. So let's yes. be professional about this. And what does right. that often do? It totally demeans people who are going through something authentic and forces them to stop feeling how they really feel so that other people aren't uncomfortable. And women do this mm-hmm. all the time. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Right. Because then where, where's the line? Like if I show too much emotion and I'm too happy or excited, are people going to think I'm flighty or flaky or just like a ditz or just like... Mm-hmm always happy. Like it, it kind of swings both ways, right? Cause like in my mind, when we were talking about this and being vulnerable, I kind of immediately thought of like being sad emotionally or crying and being emotional in that way. But then we also have to think about the emotions that kind of range on that whole spectrum. So like when you're angry, when you're happy, when you're confused, like 
there's a lot of masking of any of those emotions that you're kind of trying to do and work through. Mm-hmm. I've even heard it called passionate as like another euphemism. If you want to say that, like I've seen very high functioning, very influential and like not aggressive, but very assertive women be labeled as, Oh, they're just really passionate. And that's kind of how we get away saying like we, this, this person is, that's great. They're passionate but we're going to need them to tone that down. It's too much. Mm -hmm. It's very dismissive. (laughs) Yes. Too much passion. We don't like that. mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of other situations where we have to kind of keep, where we're expected to keep that like mask on or keep that like tight rein around our humanity, I guess. And I, I can't really think of anything, even in school. I mean, if you were... I feel like maybe teachers just have a little more compassion for humans because that's what they're dedicating their lives to. But <clears throat> I can't think of any other scenario in our lives where we have to practice like not being who we are. Mm. Strange. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels mm-hmm. it feels very tied to work for me. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, and you know we live in a society that most people have jobs where they have to go and and produce and make profit for some other figure, some other entity, some other head of something. And yes, like hopefully you're gainfully employed throughout that, but we're making money for other people in this society. Mm -hmm. That's what we all go to work to do. Whether you're in marketing or not, you're creating things to be sold, to be marketed, to be used. And so that's just kind of how it feels to be at work. Like you're, even if you are working at something you love and it gives you kind of a purpose and, it, and it's in that, and that could be really good. And you've had that like fulfillment from productivity and those things aren't bad, but at the end of the day, like working for yourself is a very different feeling of going to a job and contributing to some other purpose, some other, and you, you can only hope that you kind of feel at home in that wider purpose. Mm, right. Right. Yeah. You know, Katie, you mentioned something that, I'm curious about this. So when in getting into like why we feel like emotions have no place in, in work or why we can't have emotions or be emotional at work, you mentioned something about others perceived discomfort. It makes people uncomfortable when they see someone else being emotional. And sometimes that makes them want to shut it down again, tied back to toxic positivity. And I'm curious as to like where this comes from, if this is something that is tied to outside of the professional setting and our experience dealing with emotions and vulnerability. And I'm also curious. So I'm curious on one front, is that why, is that why we feel like there's no, there's no place for emotions or vulnerability at work is because it's uncomfortable. And then uh, alongside that, I guess, Jess, you mentioned when you thought when you went down this path of emotions at work or emotions in general vulnerability, you thought sadness or crying. I'm curious as to like our experiences in this realm of, of feeling emotional at work and maybe having to shove that down or, you know, what, what emotion comes to mind for, for all of us when we think of being emotional at work. I'm curious. So I guess question a is, is, <laughs> is it just vulnerability? Is it discomfort at work that makes us want to sh- put it down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Why is it just dis- why is it uncomfortable? Why is it uncomfortable to to allow emotions happening in the workplace? I think it's because there's not always like a speak up culture. 
we're kind of we're kind of conditioned to go to work, keep our heads down, listen to our boss, and do our jobs. Don't ask questions. I feel like largely uh, generations maybe before us for sure. I think finally that's being challenged a bit more. And in a speak up culture, and if you have a culture of advocates and even accomplices, if you're working towards more equity in, 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 in the workplace, that gets interrupted a little bit more. And yes, it's discomfort. It's very uncomfortable. And I think that there's a change in the norms around that. Like people are realizing that discomfort is okay. Discomfort is growth. We don't need to be just protecting ourselves and staying comfortable all the time. There's nothing wrong with being uncomfortable. Hmm. And so, because, and I think we might get to this later too, that I, that I've recently kind of become more familiar with myself is that people maybe experience reactivity or burnout or feeling on edge or emotions kind of like that. Um, I think Jess, you were alluding to like, when you think of being emotional at work, you think of sadness or maybe just feeling kind of like despondent, like not fulfilled, just, or not supported. Maybe that's because there's various like core needs that everyone has that the way things have been done in capitalism and corporate America it depletes us of these core needs and people have just been showing up like this for so long. And I feel like it's finally starting to be dismantled and challenged. We're starting to become more aware of what these core needs are and how we can meet them at work to create more equitable and inclusive places to be. Um, So, so your question, Sarah was around, was around like, why are we so like squeamish around when they're, when people are emotional at work? I think it's because we've just not allowed ourselves to experience discomfort. Um, And I think that discomfort is where that change is going to happen so that we can start really listening to the needs of people so that in the future, someday, hopefully sooner than later, we can make workplaces where more people feel comfortable than just the same people feeling comfortable, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It's a lot easier in that short term to push away those feelings of discomfort and not deal with them in the moment. And I think you hit it on the head that, you know, it's just one of those things that we're working through and maybe realizing more just after the year that we've had collectively as a society mm-hmm. that it's better to sit in that discomfort for a little bit to work through and push through and figure out what needs to change and and finding a solution to it versus just ignoring or or saying like I'm not going to deal with that right now that's I mean it's huge we have to start and maybe not even start we have to continue that motion that we've started to, to, to live in that discomfort and to create a space at work that, uh, that can have room for being emotional and whatever that looks like. I'm still like, I'm still trying to figure out why my first impression was crying. Hmm. And Mm -hmm. I guess maybe it is because like, maybe that's my experience of like 
when I felt emotional at work, where I felt that shame, it's been when I've been in such an overwhelmed position or so just drained completely, depleted completely of like my core basic needs in a workplace setting to feel okay. And it's come out as being frustrated and crying. And so that for me is what like initially gets uh, associated Mm-hmm. with being emotional right there. It's yeah. just from personal experience. And that's, it's biological, right? It's our, like, it's neurology. It's our, the makeup of our brains. So like, this is kind of what I was recently learning more about, which I find so fascinating. What you are experiencing is called cognitive drain. And it's our brains like experiencing this like inflammation. And so oftentimes, yes, we cry because it's really uncomfortable. It's really painful. Um, We're not getting these needs met. And so this directly affects our work performance. This affects our ability to, you know, obviously focus throughout the day and focus on what we need to get done. And it can actually like shorten our lifespan too, if it happens, you know, throughout the course of a career, for example. so it sucks to cry at work. It, it never feels good. It's that shame. Um, and I've cried. I think I shared this with y'all before, but like, yeah, I've cried with almost every manager I've ever had. And it sucks every time. Mm-hmm. And I always reflect on it. I'm like, you know, sometimes I don't feel embarrassed uh, or guilty or shameful because the way that manager at the time responded, I was able to get a need met. and. I was able to feel that sense of connection with my manager and my manager grew as well as a manager and became more intuitive with the member of their team. And that's actually pretty powerful. That's an opportunity. And I, and I've also had managers who, you know, can't handle it. um, Send me some, like, I once had a manager who sent me like a, like get yourself amped up with like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like some like Arnold Schwarzenegger YouTube video. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> but he was, it was really sweet. Like the next morning he sent me like a bunch of YouTube videos. Cause I was feeling really um, just, I had no confidence. I was like, I can't do this. I just didn't have that self-worth I needed to, oh. to, pr- to pursue this role. And this was a long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um so, but I liked what I, even though it was like a cheesy approach, in my opinion, I liked the way he um, responded uh, with yeah, support. Totally. In like mm-hmm. a, in his own way. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm trying to think of what I think of as emotions at work. I think of anger. I think anger is my top one. And then that leads to frustration or not feeling heard or not feeling valued and then that leads to crying like frustration crying I'm, I'm more of a bathroom crier <laughs> when we were in the office I'm less of a manager crier I'm, I'm more private uh mm. but I have I've been like an HR crier you know I've, yeah, we've been there we've all been there yeah. um yeah. but yeah like anger to me comes out in like in crying and for others I'm sure it's yelling or arm gestures or whatever uh (laughs) but yeah like I think similar like negative negative emotions but I I think that I've heard others experiences at companies of uh feeling like they couldn't let out their personality either like um Mm -hmm. if they were too goofy or too you know 
people didn't understand their jokes or if they were a little bit like oddball personality that um that that was kind of like quelled as well and i i almost think you know katie you touched on very very briefly you touched on you know showing emotions isn't necessarily productive and so in like a traditional Mm -hmm. capitalist world that's just fluff that needs to be cut out. And so that could be either a positive or a negative emotion on either extreme is just like, well, are you producing? No. Okay. You're wasting time. Mm-hmm. Back to work. Mm-hmm. Button up. So I wonder if that's, if that's part of it. And I think furthering that Katie, your comment on people focusing on company culture and understanding that when people burn out and can't be themselves and are broken <laughs> temporarily, they can't produce then either. So focusing on culture then makes it so that you have more productive employees. Yes. For so sure. I thought that was really poignant. So we've talked a lot about like even reflecting on when we felt emotions in the workplace previously. And it sounds like we all kind of have tried to take a moment and figure out like, what's the root cause? Like what's going on? But are there steps that we can take to help ourselves? Like, are there things that are out there that we can do to just the next time it happens to help ourselves when we're feeling any emotion at work that we might start to have that creeping uh, shame come in or feeling like ashamed of having this particular emotion at work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have had a lot of people reach out to me asking this question and what they envision is starting support networks um, at work, something a little more structured. And this can look like, an employee resource group. Um, I know that Sarah, that there's some involvement uh, where you work that does focus specifically on culture and there's some, some work happening there. So it can look like a lot of things, whatever works for your company. And maybe if you don't want something so structured, right? It's nice to know that you at least have somebody who you work with who gets it. Cause it's hard to talk about this stuff with friends that you don't work with. Um, and some of my closest friends that I still have today are those who I needed back when we used to work together. We need to kind of commiserate together and we grew that bond back then. Um, so hopefully folks who are listening and, and hoping for some advice on, on how to handle this, everything is easier with community, right? Everything is easier if you have somebody to confide in. And ideally it is a leader or a manager who can take action and make maybe make a change. Um, and we'll see you as whole, see you as human, even if you ugly cry sometimes or get angry. Yelling is never okay, right? I think we talked about that in the past. Like, there's got to be boundaries, of course, if you're going to have these relationships where you open up and be vulnerable. Um, but more or less, I feel that most people benefit from having this sort of relationship. Um, Amy Jeffers is a friend of mine, and she actually founded a company called Flourish last year. And uh, she's partnered with one of my favorite experts in the space, Paloma Medina. If you've ever get an opportunity to check out a talk from Paloma, please do. She's amazing. But Amy and I just formed a uh, small business support group not too long ago with a few other women. And uh, she kindly delivered a training that she usually gives clients. So I kind of got a sneak peek into what she does and how she supports 
um, equity and inclusion work for organizations. She focuses kind of on that leadership training piece. And she talks all about the neurology of equity and inclusion, like what's happening in our brains when we're feeling like this, when we're feeling that reactivity and that burnout and that cognitive drain, like we've been kind of chatting about here. And so in a question of what can we do, I found it so helpful what Amy was presenting on is to understand those core needs, what they actually are. And if we're having a reaction, if we're having kind of like a flare up of anger or sadness or something, check in with yourself and see maybe where there's a need not being met. And then that could help you articulate what's going on with your manager or a leader. Say, hey, you know, for example, the number one core need that we all have is to feel a sense of belonging. And so, Sarah, I think you said it earlier, it makes you really angry when you don't feel heard or included in something and you don't feel like you belong in, a, in that space or in that culture or you don't feel included. So when that when those needs aren't met, we just feel crappy. We feel terrible. And so being able to articulate these needs can be really helpful. So I can actually just walk through all six really quick. And yeah. if folks would like mm -hmm. to learn more, um, check out Amy Jeffers over at Flourish. She can do a way better job discussing it. Yeah, but, um, we'll have to we'll drop a link in um, in the description too to Amy's uh, website. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so there's six core needs that we all have. The first one is, like I said, belonging and inclusion. The second one is improvement, right? Having that sense of progress. I feel this one all the time. If I don't feel like things are moving along, if I'm not feeling like there's growth happening or a sense of progress, I get incredibly frustrated if I feel stuck or trapped. The third one is choice agency and autonomy. I really feel this one too. If I feel like my choices are limited, if I don't have agency or autonomy in my work, I get very frustrated and very kind of forlorn and like hopeless sometimes. Um, number four would be that sense of equality and fairness, similar to belonging or inclusion. If we feel like there's like an inequity happening, or there wasn't a, a um, there's no equality in a decision made in a, in a hiring decision or a promoting decision. Um, that really makes us feel sad. It really makes us feel kind of disjected and not fully considered. And then the fifth one is predictability and certainty about the future. So all of us felt this last year, right? There was no sense of predictability of what was going to happen to our jobs, to our ways of life. There was no certainty about anything. And that left us all feeling pretty sad and scared, right? And then the last one is status. So by status, they mean more so kind of like that feeling of having special significance in a group that you're part of. Um, having that feeling of like, oh yeah, like Sarah offers this all the time when she comes, you know, she's really good at this. Like we, Sarah's known for having this trait, this skill, or like, oh, Jess, every time she's in a meeting, we know she's going to be able to take care of this, no problem, or we trust her to do this. So like, that's a status that you hold that you're known for. And you feel, you feel known, which is a core need too. just feeling like somebody knows you and what you add value to. And so when you're in like a situation or a workplace culture where nobody really knows where you can bring value or kind of like what your special significance is, that makes you feel sad and kind of lonely and um, 
you know, that lack of connection too. So yeah, just a quick and dirty rundown of those six core needs. Um, I felt so seen when Amy oh my gosh. walked yeah. us through it. I was like, that's what's been going on. That's why mm-hmm. I feel this way. <laughs> yes. That's mm-hmm. like the same feeling I just had. I was like, oh my gosh, starting a new job with a brand new team remotely during the pandemic. Like that was something I did. And I was like, I, yep, I hit that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was feeling lack of that. Oh, yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That whole list. I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes I know that right? one. Yep. <laughs> yep. Interesting. We- oh, yeah. I mean, all of us probably felt the majority of these not being met for like a year. So. Yeah. Interesting. So, so check in with yourself. <laughs> it's a big yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Walk through this list. How do you feel? Uh, <laughs> I love that. I'm going to have to look up more about that because that yeah that definitely that definitely resonates with me and I'm I'm interested in I mean if deep diving into the preservation of core needs like wow that could probably be an entire different episode but what I'm hearing a little bit about this is that our emotions basically come out when we're trying to communicate the the loss of that core need or that that need is not being met. And so we feel that emotion and it's like almost like our body just like, it's trying to say something that it's not quite putting into words in that moment. And so maybe we in identifying what that core need is can better communicate around that. And then whether that needs an end up ends up being met by our employer or our team or wherever our community, wherever we're trying to have it met is a totally different, um, probably journey because that'll be, it's not no guarantee that if you communicate something that it's solved. Right. But it sounds like what a way to help ourselves when we are feeling emotional at work is to not suppress it necessarily, unless you're yelling, no yelling, Mm -hmm. Uh, but if you're crying, like you can, you can be vulnerable at work. That's okay. Um, but then also to follow up with, okay, why is this happening? What's this core need? And then how can I communicate what's missing and what I need from that? Am I right there? Yes. Well said. And yes, it's really hard to do, right? Much easier, um, said than done to articulate, especially in that moment. Um, if something is happening for us, if we're having a reaction or we're triggered by something. So remember that you can always come back later. I'm a big fan of like taking the day to journal out what's happening or whatever works for you and your kind of form of self-care. And after you've had a moment to say, why, what need wasn't met? And how do I ask for this need? Right. Sometimes that's not always clear right away. Um, One thing that's been coming up more and more in my research is that um, I read the book Nonviolent Communication many, many years ago. Have you heard of this book? No. No. It's I'm excited that it's picking up traction. It's a very woo (laughs) way of being. And if you read the book, it's I would never really recommend doing everything the book says. I think it's a great book, but there is a takeaway I think that can be applied in this context of how, of how to articulate how you're feeling and what you're needing. And then 
um, even better, you know, you get, you start getting better at making requests for what you need, which is really hard to do. Mm-hmm. So there's a four step process to it. So the framework for nonviolent communication is making an observation, right? Saying like, Hey, Jess, you know, I observed this the other day, this happened. I just want to let you know that, you know, this is something I've observed and it makes me feel whatever the feeling is. It makes me feel angry when that kind of thing happens because I have a need for insert need, right? I have a need Mm -hmm. for having autonomy in my work. And when this happens between us, you know, it makes me feel this way. So my request is that, Hey, would you maybe exercise a little more trust while I, you know, do this in my own way. And as long as I can ensure that the deliverable deliverable comes on time on the deadline, make sure we, we meet deadlines and we, we set a boundary so that there's more trust there. And so that kind of four-step process of observation, need, feeling, sometimes those can be back and forth. And then ideally you're making a request. And typically I feel like most rational people will hear that and be like, Oh my gosh, yes. Let's let's work this out. Like let, let what do you need? Thank you for telling me that you've observed this. This is how it makes you feel. This is what you need. And you've given me something to act on. So hell yeah, let's let's fix it, you know? So easier said than done, but I found that that four-step process, I use it every time I'm entering in a difficult relationship or conversation, whether it's a personal relationship in my in my personal life or client or colleague. Yes. I like that too, because you're also not just unloading on somebody, you're kind of Mm. helping guide them to let them know how to help you. Um, Mm. So it's not just a, you know what, I'm feeling this and here, sort Mm. through it. Um, Mm -hmm. Which like sometimes happens, right? We've all Mm -hmm. been there where we kind of just like dump our emotions on someone else. But the the approach of first, I think, and foremost, sort of reflecting, I, getting clear on what it is that um, is causing this feeling to come up in you. And then also thinking through how to articulate that to someone, taking some time. I think that's like a really big deal. Um, oftentimes we want to react in the moment and sometimes mm-hmm. certain situations it is appropriate to react in the moment, but I really truly feel like if there is something that comes up that is bothering you and you need time to process it, it's also like, there's no expiration. You can go back the next day or in an hour or so mm-hmm. and approach it again and have a conversation and bring it back up. Like that's okay to do. I think oftentimes we kick ourselves for not reacting in the right way or not saying the right thing in the moment. Um, But I think we'd need to give ourselves permission to take some time sorting through it, recognizing that we're human, that we need to kind of get clear on what it is that's the cause of how we're feeling to then be able to better articulate and to help others kind of understand um, the role that they play in that if they do play a role in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I found it helpful to be able to differentiate when you're feeling reactive or when you're acting out of reactivity versus respond, being responsive and being able to respond to something. And usually it takes 24 hours to be able to do that because sometimes people will like put a wall up if they can see you, you know, coming at them with something right in that moment. And so 
I'm a big fan of coming back after the fact and, and discussing something. And so maybe in the middle or maybe before that you did get emotional and you did maybe break down a little bit or need to leave a space and go, you know, have that, you know, time to yourself. And then that kind of maybe held in the air, but yeah, I think that there's always opportunities to revisit and, uh, and communicate what you need later. Question on that. That just made me think of something. So for example, if I'm getting worked up at work, talking to my manager and I'm like getting weepy because I'm frustrated. Should I, do you guys think that I should take a beat, go tell her that I need a minute to process what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, get to the bottom of whatever I'm, I'm working through in front of her uh, and then come back to her with that kind of like four step. Okay. This is what happened. This is what I need. This is my request. Um, or do I continue to like work through it in that, in that moment? Um, because in an effort of being more vulnerable, mm-hmm. I don't know that we want to just, mm, I don't know. I, I'm working through this with you guys mm. right now. I don't know that we want to yeah. not be emotional in front of other people necessarily. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also part of emotions to say and recognize, you know what, I need some time to process this. I'm feeling this kind of way. I need some time to think through this. And and I'd like to take some time, like asking for space, um, I think is all part of it, depending on the situation. Like, I think that is still being very vulnerable because you're being very honest of like where you're at. So... I think it all kind of, it it all kind of goes hand in hand in a way. I don't know. Yeah, I'm processing through it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's good, and it's it's probably it's very much dependent on the relationship you have, Sarah, with your manager too, right? Like right. vulnerability is sometimes not leaving something when it's too hard, and being able to lean in to that vulnerability and stay in a difficult conversation. However, if you are having an emotional reaction and you're starting to become less able to articulate clearly to somebody about, you know, what you've observed, what you feel, what you need and a request, and you can't quite, you're not quite there yet, then yeah, I think taking a beat would be good. And you could come back and say, okay, I've reset. I can kind of articulate this better. And I don't think either way is wrong. I have been in moments where I have just like let it all out and said, okay, I'm feeling this way. This made me upset. Like those cry times with HR. Sometimes that's what HR is there for. Mm-hmm. If you have a good relationship with, with HR, which fortunately I usually have in the past, I can go to them and say, I just need to vent right now. I realize you're not actually in this situation. So maybe that's a little bit easier to kind of like soundboard with somebody. If you need, if you're somebody who needs to, process outwardly, which I am, I need to talk through something with somebody I kind of don't do as well, if I'm alone or dealing something, dealing with something alone. However, if I was in kind of an interaction, I was getting emotional with my actual, you know, direct leader or direct manager. Usually, my style is just to stay in the conversation. And I, I don't, I feel like conflict for me is something I'm not afraid of. Well, I think back later and be like, gosh, cringe, like that was (laughs) not my finest moment. Um, And then follow up later and say, okay, where are we now? Are we doing okay? Or usually if the manager is a good one, they will reach back out and check in again. Mm -hmm. 
but to answer your question about is it you know do you stay in it when it's hard or do you take some time i think yeah being able to identify that for ourselves in those moments is a skill too neither one is is right or wrong i think there's power in like staying in difficult moments and i think there's also power in um taking space to kind of really get in tune with what we're needing and yeah that can't always happen right there in real time Right. And I'm guessing that naming practice, that multi-step practice, that four-step practice, whether you do it in the moment, if you're able, Mm -hmm. or if you do it with some space, the more you do it, I'm sure the better you'll get it at at either, right? At at calling it what it is and identifying it. Um, Maybe you'll even be able to process it if you need to outwardly with the person you're talking to in that uncomfortable moment. So maybe that's the ideal. So related question I'm just, this always happens at the end of the episode. I'm like, all right, I've processed all this. I've got all these questions. So we've talked a lot about like work related emotions or like core needs not being met by work leading to certain emotions. What happens when you're like sad about something not related to work and then you need to go to work and pretend to not be sad? Can you have that mm-hmm. vulnerability in that way? Is Do we think that's more accepted or is that does that fall into this same kind of unprofessional uh, bucket traditionally? Mm-hmm. That is a really good question. I think that is going to be so important for leaders to think about because we just went through like how many, I mean, crises after crisis this last year mm-hmm. and public health crisis, you know, social justice crisis, all these different reckonings are coming out and uh, personal life has been really hard. And so I don't know if the two of you um, followed at all what went on with the company Basecamp mm-hmm. and what happened there. Yeah, so we talked about it at my company. We did. actually. Yeah. yeah. So there's an example, right, of a company like just dehumanizing people and mm-hmm. then deciding to make it like a communications move, like publishing a blog post about it, multiple posts, you know, sending out communications internally of just not simply not allowing societal or political conversations to happen within their project management tool base camp. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sarah, yeah, they, they published like all this communication about like, okay, we are no longer allowing these discussions at work. You can't talk about politics. You can't talk about what's happening in society we're actually going to disband our DEI committees and that's all going to happen. You know, HR is going to handle all of that. And they even ended up um, doing away with a few, what they called paternalistic benefits. So they really just like slashed their employees ability to feel anything while they're at work and talk about it with people. So everything we've talked about today, Basecamp has outlawed and that. I think has changed. I haven't really been following that closely. I think they've like made some, they, of course the internet went wild over it and so many opinions were flying around and, uh, Oh, they, the cool, the cool thing. I mean, the interesting thing is that they offered a severance package for people who were not, didn't want to stay after that. And I think something like 30 or 40% of their headcount quit over that. And even, you know, many people in leadership too. And so (laughs) needless to say, they came out with another kind of communication about like, they have a lot of things to 
reconsider and they don't really, they don't, they haven't taken any action or undone, undone anything. And, and I've spoken with other kind of similar practitioners as myself who are like, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing and they don't care. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel like they don't know what they're doing, but anyway, so to answer your question, (laughs) with, with life the way it is with us, like working from home, which obviously invites our our pups, our cats in the mix, our children, our lives. We don't get dressed up for work the same way we used to. We are feeling just more comfortable at home. Um, we, we, we structure our days differently. We make ourselves feel more at home. We, and we have to work differently to maintain our workplace relationships too. So thinking about like, should employers, should HR, should people, people teams, you know, really factor in people's emotions outside of work with how it's affecting their performance. I think 100%. And I think people are complex enough to be able to do that. I think most people want to do a good job. They want their work to speak for themselves. And they also feel stuff all the time. So maybe some people are able to compartmentalize a little bit more easily and switch into that mode. And sometimes people cope by working harder and not thinking about what's happening. And that's okay too. I think we have to allow space for people who process differently. Some people are really, really empathic and they feel things a lot more, you know, intensely. I'm definitely one of those people. (laughs) And some people just really, that's not really a part of their personality. And they, they switch into that just more structured mode of work and just more, a little more single mindedness. And that's okay too. Just as long as we're encouraging people to be themselves and take care of themselves and not um, cover up anything about themselves in order to be deemed professional. Yeah. I think showing up, like encouraging others and encouraging yourself to show up as your whole self at work is incredibly important. And I think as a colleague, like a coworker, it helps others feel more comfortable to do that. And also as like a manager, having anybody directly reporting to you, it allows your employees to feel a lot more able to be themselves. And, you know, sometimes as we experience life, there are going to be things that are really hard that we go through or that the world is going through. And that's never going to change. It might change as far as like what it is exactly. But I fully agree. I think we have to give space for people to be off their game. If maybe something's going on at home or, you know, you lose somebody in your life or what have you, it's really important that we just allow people to have that space and and to talk through it if they need to or or what whatever it might be um yeah i mean in my last position having um direct reports like there were life events that happened for those individuals that were reporting to me and i was just like let's you know we can bring in hr to figure out what you need as far as like company support, but also like on a human level, please let me know, like, is this something that you want me to check in on to ask you about? Or would you feel more comfortable bringing it up to me to give me an update? Like when you feel it's necessary, like asking for permission, creating like a code of conduct of like how to talk and support or comfort somebody I think is really important too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a, 
even asking that question to your team, if you manage people, because some people just simply won't be comfortable with that level of check-in too, because some people just maybe don't want that. And that is okay too, if you, if you like that separation. But I still think that leaders getting in the habit of asking their team, what makes you feel supported? So each leader knows that about their team. Like, I feel supported when you trust me to get my work done, or I feel supported when I can be honest with you about something. Every team member will have their own version of that. And then that just like sets you up to be able to deliver as a supportive leader, which we really need right now. Yeah, big time. Yeah, like what is it that leaders can do to like continue to encourage individuals to be more vulnerable at work and like how do we tow that line is is it a line that we need to tow like is i feel like there should be some sort of boundary right we've already established that like no yelling yelling should never be an option <laughs> mm-hmm. so that's a boundary um but like what else is it that leaders should know and maybe not even leaders right like leaders yes should know this but like how do we also show up for each other as like employees like coworker to coworker how should we be reaching out and helping each other. And mm-hmm. what do we do in the moment when that happens, right? Like it's one thing to to check in and and be supportive in that way, but I still am not sure what I would do in the moment if a coworker came to me and was like, you know, crying or yelling or what I, you know, those are the two that come to mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I still yeah. would be kind of deer in the headlights, right? Of like, it's okay, we're okay. Now let's problem solve, you know, which is like that initial reaction is mm-hmm. borderline toxic positivity. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> what do we do? Well, because it's not normalized really, right? To like hold that space and it's like, it's uncomfortable for everybody. And yeah, you, you want to help, you want to problem solve. And as marketers, marketers are problem solvers. And that's just kind of that natural mode that you want to slip into And so I think that if the team culture you have is, is a supportive one, then you kind of maybe have ground rules for how to, how to support each other, maybe already, like that's already kind of in place. Um, It's kind of an annoying thing, honestly, to bring this as a solution to teams looking to do this, but having that code of conduct could really help, right? Something like that. Um, What do we do when in the moment somebody's having a reaction, it's best to maybe know, have that relationship established with those people and just kind of have that thing to refer to. Maybe it could be like maybe a little more of a practical thing, that code of conduct that could outline like, Hey, we're all going to be feeling stuff certain days. We're all going to be going through personal stuff. So let's all feel psychologically safe to be ourselves and maybe this kind of could be a good guideline of of what to do. And then of course the manager has it. And the important thing is of course, like culture, as we've been kind of talking about does get set, like the tone gets set with leaders, but it should always be a decentralized approach from team to team. It wouldn't be like a whole rollout of like everybody acts this way when this happens, but it is very team specific because it's so person specific. And so, you know, just, I'd also honestly like I like to say that I want to live in a world where humility and sensitivity are strengths in the workplace. 
And we actually reward people who operate with that sense of empathy, who bring others along with them and their successes. And that, you know, are seen as supportive when others are struggling. Like we don't really um, call that out as like accomplishments right now. We don't really, we kind of just, it doesn't really get um, acknowledged at all. So that's why it feels so weird when it's happening. (laughs) So we can shift that around. Yeah. 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 Calling it out or praising others when they kind of exemplify that characteristic. I like that. Katie, I could listen to you talk about this and a lot of other things for like hours. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like writing all of these notes, (laughs) like in my own podcast episode. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just... I feel like there's so much that you've been able to share with us. Like there's so much that you've been able to share that's actionable. That's I think something that we can all walk away with and apply going forward. I think there's a lot that I want to go back and listen to and write down. I was like too nervous that I would shake my desk too much and there'd be too much background noise if I were to write and be recording at the same time. But like, I'm just looking forward to putting a lot of what you've talked about into practice and to like be a little bit more intentional about when I'm feeling a certain way, taking a beat to just sort of think through like, well, what's, what's the cause of this and having something to name, like what you've given us is the ability to sort of name those different kind of areas that those core areas that aren't being met, those needs, Mm -hmm. which I think is incredibly powerful we often hear that being able to name something is part of like processing part of healing. And so being able to name what it might be that we're missing is going to be so beneficial in being able to get us through whatever that emotion is. And it's okay for us to feel that emotion. It's okay for us to acknowledge it and to be in it, but we want to work through it instead of ignoring it. So I I think that's a really great, um, great lesson that you've been able to give us among many others. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a joy. I, I love talking about this stuff. And yeah, I could talk about it all day. And I, I feel so grateful that this is the way that I can support my clients. And, and I feel grateful that I've been able to find community of other professionals that are, you know, addressing this stuff too. There's no shortage of experts out there that um, have great resources to be able to put the stuff in action, like what we're talking about today. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that work will start getting better for more people <laughs> very soon. <Yeah>. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. This really has been eye opening. And like I said, this full page of notes are things that I want to now incorporate into, like you mentioned, my culture committee at work and mm-hmm. how I manage my team and how I work with my manager how I communicate even with friends who are going through anything, um, but especially work troubles, you know, without getting to therapist on them. (laughs) Have you tried this four step program? Um, Right. There's a fine line between therapist and like solutions architect of like nobody, nobody wants either one. There's a, but there's a good balance you can find too. Got to read the room a little bit, but no, I think, this was incredible. Um, and I'm so glad we get to to share this with other people too. So thank you so much for being here. Katie, will you share a little bit about how people can get in touch with you, how they can find you if they want to, you know, have more conversations like this with you? Absolutely. My website, which you can read a little more about my signature program, as well as my membership and 
some other content that I've I've put together is at www.katiezink.co. And I am pretty active on LinkedIn, trying to be better, but you can definitely find me on LinkedIn um, at Katie Zink. Perfect. We'll also make sure to include links to that in the show notes so that you can access um, Katie's website and find her on LinkedIn to connect. We highly encourage you to. I've actually um, seen some of the articles that you've posted, Katie, and there was one about imposter syndrome that you shared a few months back that I shared with our, um, women's group at my, our women's ERG, um, at my company. So, oh, cool. um, yeah, so yay. That's right? exactly like the kind of thing these, I want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> all of these little connections and, and ways that like when we put it out there, there are definitely people watching or people listening. Um, and it's fun to have, have people like you in our lives, um, Katie. So thank you again for being here. And we look forward to hopefully talking to you a little bit more in the future. Who knows? That would be great. Yes, I would love to come back anytime. All right. Well, Sarah, do we want to tell the people our news about this season? Our news, yes. So, wait, okay, hold on. Are we ending the season and starting a new season? <laughs> yeah, we're going to take the summer. Okay, <laughs> and it will be season three, three then. Yes, it will be okay. season three. We're going to take okay. a brief break to enjoy the summer, avoid burnout, work on some projects we've been wanting to focus on for the podcast, and come back for season three in the fall. Yes. Okay. Do you want yeah. me to say that now? Okay. Sure. <laughs> you, can, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> this is the outro. I think that's that's just it. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What am I saying? <laughs> Jess, you just sprung this on me. What the F? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, this I say we keep this as is. I think it's great. <laughs> This is brilliant. Well, thanks everyone. Uh, it's been a great season two. Thanks for listening. Have a good summer. Hugs, everybody. And we'll be back in the fall with a fresh new perspective. And I don't know. Fresh yeah. episode. Maybe we'll kick off that newsletter that we talked about one time. Heck yeah. And we'll still communicate on Instagram. Yeah, if you want to subscribe to our newsletter, you can check out our website and get all subscribed there. And we'll send you emails at some point once we get that together. But yeah, stay in touch over the summer, uh, everybody. This truly feels like school is letting out. It's kind of awesome, actually. <laughs> Thanks for signing my yearbook. I really appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Well, on that note, season two, you've been real good to us. And thank you so much for everybody who's listened and interacted with us. Katie reached out to us on Instagram because she listened to one of our episodes and then we invited her on. If you're ever interested in having a conversation with us, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to talk to you. We like hearing other people's perspectives and opinions on things. It kind of helps mix things up a little bit. So we appreciate you listening and thanks for being here and we'll catch you in the fall. Bye everybody. Bye.